the Brothers Book Club Podcast. We are here with another book review. We continue the march through the Penguin Classics, Little Black Classics collection, and we're back with some John Keats, The Eve of St. Agnes. Ryan's here on the other end. Hey, Ryan. Yep. Lucky, lucky number 13, or maybe unlucky number 13. Only time will tell. Isn't that the cursed number that they don't put in elevators, or is that a different number? I think it might be elevators or maybe hotels. I think that was a another one of those rumors, like, or there's no 13th floor, maybe. Yeah, no 13th floor, uh, something like that. And yeah, if this was a if this little black classics volume was a building, and this was the 13th floor, I I don't know if I would mind that being you know missing. But we'll get into it. We'll we'll get I into that. I thought you were going to say you would jump from it. (laughs) I would, if I did find myself somehow on that floor, I probably would try and by any means escape it. Yeah, whatever the architectural equivalent of John Keats is, uh, no, is all I have to say. I guess no thank you would probably be a little bit less rude. (laughs) Is (laughs) Is that the official review then? Yeah, let's jump right in. Let's do our quick reviews. I suppose I'll start with mine, uh, though it's not just the word no. Um, I think this is this book commemorates sort of an important milestone for me or an important moment for me until I have to read more picture books. Uh, I once had an internship at a library where, you know, occasionally you're like dishing out some picture books and recommending. But until the day comes when I have to engage in that and entertain someone by reading them a picture book, doing a little bit of rhyming, I'd, if I never read a couplet rhyme again, I would be happy. I just never want to have two lines conclude and rhyme because I just, it, it, it was so Dr. Seuss and so Rainbow Fish, this collection, I just could not bear to read it. Yeah, <laughs> I couldn't. I could not agree more. I think that when you when he's when you warned me last week when we were talking about it, it was just as bad as I anticipated, which is uh which is unfortunate, but yeah, the rhyming thing I I simply I could not get over that either. Like every every other sentence is a is a just a ridiculous rhyme. And it's I think what I wrote down here was it's dead to me, but respect, respect to Keats, the God. I just don't (laughs) think I want to read things that are written and constructed in the sing song way. I think sing song rhyme, couplet rhyme has just been killed and put in the ground for me. And I, you know, in the sense that while I admire a Dr. Seuss book and I'll happily point at the illustrations and have a, you know, a grand old time reading it. I just right. don't want to have to think about it. it it's an auditory pleasure experience <laughs> and there's nothing, there's nothing pleasurable or auditory about reading this, but it rhymes anyway. So it's like you're dragging right. your brain through the, through the barbed wire trying to analyze it. But at the same time, it's taunting you with the rhymes. 
And it just, it's an unbearable juxtaposition to me. And I just, I cannot read any more of this. <laughs> that That is so much more brutal than I thought uh, your review would be that I, but I agree. I have to, I have to agree. I, I could not like, I could not be less interested in some of like the pay, like two of the, two of the stories in this book are like 20, 20 plus pages and getting through those two were at, at times just, you know, pretty unbearable where it's like he, he's forcing you to pay attention because he's describing what's going on in so much detail but it's just like it's just yeah it wasn't worth it to me it was <laughs> it was it was just a little uh, a, a bit too much i think if i you know come to realize anything from doing this podcast is that maybe like romantic poetry is just that's just not my jam the cu- just like the couplets just it's not for me yeah, and on the topic of romantic literature, romantic poetry, I did grab off the old bookshelf, I grabbed my Penguin Literary Dictionary and checked. So the enter, uh, the entry, not answer, but the entry for romanticism is very long. I won't bother going over that. But apparently Keats and some of his ilk were involved in the Romantic Revival, which is a term loosely applied to a movement in European literature and other arts during the last quarter of the 18th century and the first 20 or 30 years of the 19th century, marked by a rejection of the ideals and rules of classicism and neoclassicism, and by an affirmation of the need for a freer, more subjective expression of passion, pathos, and personal feelings." Uh, which are all mm. pretty rampant throughout this collection of poetry. Uh, right. That does not mean that we have to enjoy it or, you know, just because it's noteworthy uh, for being a literary movement in Europe. I don't think that means it's worth your time necessarily. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, uh, you know, kudos to the cause, you know, if this was, if this was the cutting edge stuff, you know, if this was what was doing it for people, maybe younger people, more progressive people at the time, then man, that's fantastic. But it does not read well today. Like it does not hold up. Yeah. Hold up is such a, it obviously does not have the cadence or the sound or anything that you'd come to expect if you, but I, I don't know. I, that's such an odd description. And I've always refrained from trying to say things like that, though. It's obvious that that's true. What does yeah, a poem but, sound like to you now? Right. I mean, how often does anyone read poetry now? I mean, I would almost expect some people would go into a collection like this thinking, yes, this is how poetry is still written. I mean, it kind of sounds like Dr. Seuss with l- references to Greek mythology and far more complex vocabulary. But I, mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, not many people are picking up poetry off the shelves. So if someone said, oh, the, yeah, poets, that's how they speak. That's how they write. I, I don't know. That wouldn't shock me. Mm, yeah, that's that's probably true. And yeah, I guess hold up you know, how, how things hold up and what it is now. You know, that's probably not the best term. It reminds me there's this guy who walks around my neighborhood and sells little booklets of poetry. Now I have to go down there and buy one of them and see what that reads like. <laughs> yeah. Well, you gotta be, be up on the movement, you know? Yeah. I, I, yeah, I mean, to be honest, uh, before we started doing this podcast with this collection, uh, it was, it was a long time probably before I heard the, when I picked up the last time I picked up a book of poetry, but you know, 
now I got to go down and see what that guy's all about. I think that's only fair, you know, give the give the local writers a chance and some contemporary writers a chance. Did you have any yeah. quotes from the Keats that embodied what you so disliked about this or perhaps some outliers of enjoyment? Um, I, I did get, there was a one outlier of enjoyment. Um, when I was reading through the first one, the, the Eve of St. Agnes, he, there's this, there's this main dude, uh, Perfiro, Porfiro. I don't know how you pronounce that. How do you pronounce it? Uh, I think it was Perfiro or Perfiro. Perfiro. But, eh, you Perfiro. know, either, yeah, it's either like, one is fine. Yeah, to each their own. Um, he basically gets snuck into this, um, <laughs> this uh woman's room and he gets uh like shuffled into her closet so he i just couldn't help thinking about the trapped in the closet saga on page 10 it says uh which was to lead him in close secrecy even to madeline's chamber and there hide him in a closet of such privacy that he might see her beauty unspied and win perhaps that night a peerless bride i mean even just reading that out loud sounds so cheesy now Yes, and I think the the difficulty of delivery out loud is throughout this podcast is going to tell the tale because I think I look at my quotes that I pulled and it's so strange to look at them now because I liked all of them as I read them, but I'm certain that as I read them out loud, I'm going to just sigh and think, what the fuck am I reading? Why am I reading this out loud? <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, yeah, that did not feel good. It's just like, th- that is literally like every line in this book though so i mean early warning but if that's not your thing then you just stay clear stay clear away because yeah i kind of felt the same thing about the quotes that i pulled like yeah some of these are pretty good they made me think this or you know there were a couple like solid like one or two lines in each story that you're like okay that's some pretty good writing but going back and looking at them now it's like eh. <laughs> it's kind of <laughs> It doesn't sound good when you read it out loud. I, yeah, these are the kinds of lines. I think it's it's almost been inverted in a way where if you wrote these down in an act of romance, misguided romance, that maybe maybe if somebody read them on a note or a letter, they'd think that's sweet or you right. know an interesting image. You know, that's a rich description. Right. But as soon as you read these out loud, my goodness, I have two that I pulled that are related <laughs> to uh, romantic love. And I, when I read them both, I think what I wrote down was, oh, I enjoyed this. One was kind of a pillow. It was kind of reminded me of the concept of, you know, pillow talk, like sweet talk yeah. in bed. Right. Uh, it was when Cupid was laying with Psyche and they were in, somebody was spying on them or the, the narrator slash um, author perspective is spying on them. And he says, yeah. their lips touch not, but had not bade adieu, as if disjointed by soft-handed slumber and ready still past kisses tout number at tendered eye dawn of Aurorian love. And I enjoyed the the disjointed, like the lips aren't touching, but they're not also ready. Thought it was a good image. Um, yeah. And was sort of a ten- sweet and you know, tender image for describing a you know, Greek gods or whatever, but I, yeah, I don't know. But then I just read it and now I hate it. So that's how it goes. (laughs) That's, that's, that's how it makes you feel. I, yeah, I feel the same way. It's like, it does feel that way when you're reading through it. You're like, oh man, yeah, this is like real classic stuff. This is, you know, these are good poems. They might not be for me, but like, I don't know. The more I go back and I'm rereading some of this stuff, it's like, eh, 
I could do without it. Yeah. I pulled another romance one that I just reread in my uh, in my head. Oh, I have to keep this couplet going. I don't know what I'll do if I start slowing. There we go. That was pretty good. Um, anyway, here's another uh, oh. romance oh, wow. quote. Yeah. Get it. Uh, yeah, well, we, we do what we can around here. This was a nice little tribute. I, he's describing how he wants to become, again, the narrator of this poem, the priest to Psyche, who's like an underappreciated goddess or god, I don't even know. I think it's a goddess, but I'm not sure. He says, yes, I will be thy priest and build a fane in some untrodden region of my mind where branched thoughts new grown with pleasant pain instead of pines shall murmur in the wind. Which, in that case, slant rhyme, I think, with their uh, that mind and wind uh, deal. Also, that's not a couplet. That's an, an ABAB thing, I think. I hadn't looked at it that closely. But I enjoyed mm. that image. I enjoyed mm. the the quietness and the, you know, instead of pines shall murmur in the wind. I think that's a nice kind of delicate way of showing that you may be obsessed with someone, in a sense. Yep. And I thought, you know, pleasant pain, it has... It has all the things you can appreciate, and it has all the literary elements that you can open up your Penguin Dictionary and say, ooh, you know, what a touching bit of alliteration, and ooh, what a, you know, well, what's this What's this nature imagery, and what's it mean? But, uh, you know, yeah. I, I don't know. And then there's just the reading of it, and I feel like that's, I can't get over it for whatever reason with these poems. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, I thought there was, yeah, there's plenty to appreciate if you want you know the themes are pretty good you know like myth sensuality it says on the back the romantic poet's most lyrical enchanting verse on myth sensuality dreams and superstition i mean that's a i think that's a little kind but i mean some of the some of the material in here is pretty good and you know some of the images are nice but the to me it's just the style it's not (laughs) i just can't get past the uh the style did you did you pull a negative quote then? Something that in the wrong ways or in the perfect way is the emblem of the style that you find so uh, hard to break into? Uh, this was a pretty good one. I was just looking back up on page 23. It's um, It says, I made a garland for her head and bracelets too and fragrant zone. She looked at me as she did love and made sweet moan. <laughs> I set her on my pacing steed and nothing else saw all day long for a side long would she bend and sing a fairy's song. <laughs> like what a, what an image there. He loves moaning and loves fairies. Uh, that that much is fairy, Yeah. A lot of fairy stuff in here and a lot of like girls or like women doing fairy things. Well, they're delicate and they moan because the corsets they wear, you know, I think those are, I think that's maybe the, the large realization we have to have now in 2019 is this is not moaning out of yearning or romantic love. It's just probably pain and just discomfort. You know, I'm sitting on the side of this horse all day with this man and I'm just wearing this incredibly uncomfortable outfit, horseback riding, you know, right. probably like bareback horseback riding. And those are those are moans of, you know, anguish, probably. <laughs> I mean, we know this now. Yeah, she just, yeah that probably sucked. It, you know, it's probably hot. Uh, the bracelets, who knows what those are made out of? And what's a what's what's a fragrant zone? Is that just like a... <laughs> I think that's one of the like great questions smell nice. of all time. Like you make a... Like while, <laughs> while you're on this horse... <laughs> like what I don't know what fragrant zone interpret like what that actually means. Yeah, the fragrant zone, one of uh, one of many potential uh, undiscussed so far innuendo, sexual innuendo in this book. 
But who's to say? I, I'm not really certain what he referenced. Maybe it's something as innocent as, you know, the sense of the forest. Sure. Uh, yeah. He, uh, whatever it was, he made it. Or maybe he was just describing it. It's just the fragrant, the fragrant zone. Yeah, th- I think that could be anything. Let's leave that up to the other readers out there. No, no, not for mm-hmm. us to interpret. You know, we're not here to do all the heavy lifting for you. This is, after all, just a recommendation. True. Very true. Did you have any uh, standout connections? Any any 2019 things that crept up on you and that surprised you? Uh, there, <laughs> there was um, there was one part right at the end of the. I think it was the second or third story in here. Uh, Lamia, Lamia, Lamia. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> right at right at the very end, and I'm not gonna, you know, I guess this isn't really spoiling it, but I just found this like relatable. On the high couch he lay. His friends came around, supported him. No pulse or breath they found, and in its marriage robe, the heavy body wound. Or I mean. Should you just say wound or wound? Well, I think that's another one of those kind of slant rhymes, so to speak. Mm. Yeah, I like that. I mean, he killed himself, right? right. Yeah. So I think wound dead. is the... Yeah, he's dead. The heavy body wound. Yeah. They found it in the marriage robe. But it's like, um, I just thought about that, like <laughs> laying, you know, your friend, you're like, on a, you're laying on a couch, friends come around, it's like, man... He's not hung over. He that dude is straight up dead. Yeah, that's uh that man's breath <laughs> is gone. Yeah, yeah, that guy. <laughs> that guy partied himself into the ground immediately. It's like just that <laughs> this is the worst hangover you've ever had. And we've all seen some devastating ones in our time, you know, whether mm, for better sure. or for worse sometimes. We've seen some folks laid out, good people, then just good. going prone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, going prone. <laughs> Um, but yeah, that was, that was kind of it for me for the quotes there. I, uh, yeah, I, I was just going to say, I, I didn't really have too many, you know, other standout quotes that I pulled from, from these. I had one negative one that I figured I'd throw in the ring before we do some final thoughts and wrap it up. I had one that was okay. so much of it is, is romantic with the lowercase R so much of it is about yearning and lust and passion and, you know, I guess sensuality, like the cover said, which is fair. But I had one that yep. was when he when Cupid turns Laminia or Lamia back into a human, like instead of being a, a serpent, seductress, whatever, like snake type Medusa yeah. creature. Yeah. The, the description of her like back transformation is oddly devastating and kind of depressing. Um, one of the quotes I pulled was, and as the lava ravishes the mead, spoiled all her silver mail and golden breed, made gloom of all her frecklings, streaks, and bars, eclipsed her crescents and licked up her stars. Which I think we get a two for there because the expression licked up her stars in regards to a person like losing their luster and like physically becoming kind of malformed is that's a great and really like yeah. uh, queasy line it's like really disturbing and is yeah very very yeah. effective yeah i i agree i totally agree so john keats you get a three for me this week and that'll be it from us let's shut this thing down <laughs> <laughs> if only if only it were that easy man if only uh yeah. if only it were that easy or if the rest of it was was that good and it didn't have to rhyme every other every other you know line 
Yeah, I don't think we're going to be able to lick this one up that well or that quickly. Um, let's I jump don't... to the author to author section. What did you find from our old pal Balthazar? Oh man, well i I enjoyed reminiscing about how good last week's collection was, at least to me. And this author to author, I, I I was thinking about it, and I don't think we've had like a more polarizing one. And then I had to go back all the way to like Goonlog and think about how like polarizing some of those author to author comparisons were. But I don't think these, I don't think Keats and uh, Balthazar could could really get down to too much <laughs> if if they were you know found themselves in conversation. I. Th- it's odd stylistically, of course. Now, granted, you're comparing like short essay aphorisms to yes. poems, long romantic poems. But yes. some of the some of the characters that he incorporated, I thought had some real Balthazar wisdom in them. I mean, take we can start with Por Porfiro, Porfio, where however we're pronouncing that, Rufio from yes. uh, you know the famous uh, Robin Hood, not Robin Hood. Uh... What was Rufio from? Rufio? Hook. That was uh, yeah, Hook. Yeah, Hook. Yeah, Peter there we Pan. go. I was like, Hood? Why am I thinking of Hood? No, it's Hook. Um, yeah. Anyway, he he waited for the opportune moment. He didn't force the issue. He he like persuaded the one sad sap in the church and who he thought he could manipulate. He drew sympathy from him and her and old, old, uh, I forgot her name, the, the old woman who lets him into the room. He knew exactly who to pry. Yeah, true. Yeah, and at true. just the right night, because apparently the Eve of St. Agnes is when young women are supposed to see the the male suitors, of course, um, being the time period it was, I suppose, that they were supposed to meet and sort of fall in love with. So he played this perfectly, waited for the exact right moment. Yeah, there was some there was some major manipulation going on there, and he was uh, he definitely used certain things. Yeah, so. You know what, when you when you say it like that, when you get down to like the characters and some of like, you know, because there's obviously a lot of, there's, you know, the medieval stuff, there's some, uh, you know, there's some mythological stuff and, you know, just by association, a lot of those stories have, there's some sort of like motive, some cunning, you know, some guile or what have you. And I could actually see that. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, and I don't want to at least at least want to get the connection. And I don't want to drop Lamia completely. Lamia, Lamia, she had one, maybe one opportunity yeah. had been transformed into a beast, a hideous creature for, by Zeus. I think I Wikipedia that earlier, but can't remember. Some god was upset with her, yeah. probably because he had sexually assaulted right. her and then got angry. It's Greek mythology. It's all the same. You know, three storylines just repeated, uh, and so. She had right. one chance, it just happened upon a god in the wild and was able to spin her tail and draw some empathy or sympathy from, from Cupid. I think it was Cupid. And he, you know, undid her yeah. curse. That's just opportunism right. and it's fine. You have to recognize your moment. You can't wait. True. She, yeah, she seized it. That That is, that is so true. I, you're making me really uh, take back my comparison earlier, but that is, uh, that is a very acute observation. I don't think that... Now, granted, Balthazar was also the person who advocated for patience as well, but I think he, he spoke a lot about knowing the right person in the right time, basically reading your... sort of reading your yes. allies and opponents. Yeah. Knowing, and then, when to, yeah, knowing when to take your chance. 
And I think those two did it perfectly. And the rest of the poems were just, you know, ballads or odes or whatever. Let's uh, go on to ratings then. Final chances to dish on <laughs> Mr. Keats, at least until next week when we pick up with author to author and see what horrors lie in our past, uh, our then True. past. Yeah. What do you have for a rating this week, Ryan? And uh, give the readers, or in our case, listeners only, uh, hopefully don't go read Keats, a recommendation. What do you got? This, uh... If you could not tell by now, this is the, I believe, the second or third one rating that I've given to any of these classics. And basically, I was just thinking about it, and it's like, man, there's so much other good stuff to read out there. Even in this little black penguin classics, like even in these volumes, there are better, more enjoyable things to read. I would I would just skip this one. Just skip it. That's uh, <laughs> that's my that's my that's my review. In a lot of ways, this wasn't what we set out to do, but in some ways, I find it, and in a lot of ways, I find it our noblest mission, and that is to give the harshest possible one to John Keats and to say, <laughs> "Do not read this. Do not read this. Yeah. Go just, watch Fleabag on skip. Amazon. Go yeah, see a movie. Sure. Go see Toy Story Four. Go read a novel by anyone. Go read Walt Whitman. We recommended that. Go yeah, do anything sure. else. Yeah, <laughs> just yeah. Skip skip this one. Just skip it uh, entirely. I I just think it drips with this romantic capital R romantic style, and I even think within that movement, that literary movement, you could do better. I I don't remember, and it's funny too because I in this penguin dictionary i have i saw some names and they drew a little bit of recollection for me like there were a couple names in there like um shelly and i think what was the other one there was one other one that i saw and i thought oh yeah i kind of enjoyed that as far as i could remember Mm. it's been a very long time but so if you're interested in english romanticism and that movement of literature fine you know here you go hopefully we gave you a primer you can go investigate and find out but if you want to struggle with a poem for as much as you'll have to struggle with these and still enjoy it, Shakespeare's out there. He maybe gets too much credit, but still, at least he was clever and kind of humorous at times. Yeah. And, then, and then when he needed to get depressing, it's like some of the most brutal stuff. I mean, yeah. really some of the most nihilistic stuff. He could kind of do it all. And this, I don't know, this just doesn't didn't find any any place for me. Right. Yeah, I yeah couldn't agree more. <laughs> I thought Almost this too one was sincere. just uh, yeah too sincere and too you know it's like just dives in a little too much. It's like a little too over the top uh, for me. It reminds me of my least favorite description that English teachers use as sort of a blanket statement that I always find really lazy and useless, which is flowery. When people are like, well, don't be too flowery. Mm -hmm. Or when you're writing an essay for school, don't be too flowery. I don't know. I love flowery stuff. I mean, some of my favorite authors are take take ridiculous. Well, it really just means wordy and like unnecessarily. So I I think of like Margaret Atwood is one that comes to mind. Like I find her flowery, but in the best, like she hits you with sensory descriptions at just the right moment or she, or she pads out these paragraphs with these really kind of a brief aside type. Uh, Yeah. There's just ways that can be done. Granted again, that's a novel and not poems or poetry, but I just don't, this strikes me as what people meant when they said, don't be flowery, was was this, which is, don't rhyme mm, for no reason, but in or like seemingly a bad no way. reason. Yeah, and, and yeah. Don't, don't go out of your way to abuse some literary devices or, or traditions or schemes. 
I, I don't know. I mean, Keats is like a legend. He died when he was 26 and people will study him forever, but right. I don't think it, I don't think it's worthwhile. Yeah, I will, I'll let <laughs> you know, I'll let the scholars and um maybe a people a little bit more qualified they can dive in and they can uh, analyze the Keats, but for a for the casual reader, uh, I would I would suggest just you know just leaving that one alone. I did do a little inventory after I scored this a one, which I don't even think I've said that out loud. It's a one for me. I, I, I think maybe I said <laughs> it earlier. <laughs> I need to go on record and say this now. Yeah, just wanted to clarify that. And for <laughs> us here at the Stumped uh, Brothers Book Club podcast, a one means a, a do not read. That's what a one means. Two is qualified recommendation. Three is a read it no matter what. Anyway, I went yeah. back to look at the other ones that this I pulled. This is the opposite of read it. Uh, yeah, yeah. This is the uh, this is this is the do not this is the do not read. I'd like to also go on record and score it with a with a one. <laughs> I I went back to look at the other books in this collection. I've rated ones, and I thought that all of mine would fall in the same camp because they've been Wailing Ghosts and the Saga of Gunlog Serpent Tongue, which are both at this point maybe over a thousand years old or, you know, roughly hundreds, at least many hundreds of years old and just have that really grindy pace of old stories. And I really thought that would, all the things I would place in there would be similar of a similar ilk, but we got a lot of books to go. And this one I think deserved it. I almost thought about giving it a two when I looked back at the quotes I pulled and how interesting some of them were. But then yeah. I had to read them, and then I had to read them to the public into this microphone, <laughs> and there's just and no I'm way. <laughs> and I'm ashamed. I'm ashamed of myself. I'm ashamed of this podcast. Gosh, man. Maybe today's <laughs> the day we shut it down. All because of Keats. <laughs> All because that unlucky number 13. Uh, actually, you know, I think there is hope, uh, which leads us to the book that we're going to tackle next week which is thomas hardy and um it's called the woman much missed have you heard of that one before uh not this collection though i do know who thomas hardy is mm. okay this is apparently his best thomas streak hardy. of poetry which he wrote courting marrying and then widowing his wife i guess that's kind of the the collected poems that he wrote about his wife Oof. Okay. Well, another another heavy hitter tomorrow or next week. That and should, poems, uh, and it's poetry again. We're back. We're back. <laughs> Man, this collection is heavy-handed with the poetry. Well, if it's a history of at world least, literature, at least so far, yeah, that's true. You got a history of world you literature. Gotta, you can't you can't ignore it. I mean, you can't run from it. So true. Yeah. So true. Well, I look forward to that, and I look forward to finding some relevance next week so we can bring Keats back, at least for as short a time as possible, to drag oh, him back yeah. into the narrative. Yep, of course. He's, uh, something tells me he might, he might stick around for longer than we, uh, we originally intended him to. <laughs> well, he does kind of crawl, crawl his way back into the you know, recesses of your brain. Right. Until then, Ryan, take us out before this uh, podcast completely breaks down and the wheels fall off. <laughs> All right, man. We'll see you next week between the classics. 